0: Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, it's great to be here with you guys. I uh, appreciate Chris and the the gang filling in for Mark and the gang uh, while they're... uh, Mark is still in uh, Mexico. The team came back. Mark and uh, Meredith stayed back to do some stuff in Puebla, and uh, they'll be back. He will be back this next week. She's going to stay there and help with the music camp and do some other things, but... uh, had a brief conversation with Bruce this morning, and I know we'll hear more, but he said it was just out of this world amazing. So we've got some great stories to tell, I'm sure. Uh, We're going to continue this morning in our series, uh, Disciplines of the Inner Life, as we talk about spiritual disciplines. And before I go into this and we walk through this together, I I feel compelled just to, to take a moment to remind you of the motivation that I had for us doing this this summer, um, we talk a lot about, and you hear me say often about, the importance of pursuing a personal walk with Christ, the, the importance of pursuing a passionate, intimate walk with Christ. And, and I am committed to that, and, and I'm calling you to the same. But, but I also recognize that, that we're all at different places, and I may speak those words, and, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, and some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. Um, Some of the disciplines that we've walked through uh, resonate with you. You experience them. You benefit from them. Uh, Some of them are foreign to you. Uh, Some of them are very known. And some, like, we're going to talk about fasting. And and, and you hear that and you go, really? Do we still do stuff like that? And and so what I want to remind you of as we go through this this morning is what we're trying to do is talk about together uh, what it means to walk with Christ. And these are things that are laid out in Scripture by example and by instruction of ways in which men and women, um, boys and girls, have learned to pursue that passionate walk with Christ. So I want you to hear my heart. I don't want this just to be a boring exercise of, of uh, going through a list. I want this to be a heartfelt understanding of what it means to walk with Christ because that's what we're trying to do together. When we began this journey just a few weeks ago, we, we talked about some of those fundamental basics, listening to God's Word, reading God's Word, applying God's Word. Remember, we talked about listen, read, and, and sow the seed. Now, because we live in the United States in the year 2011, it's safe to say that we all have a, a freedom to pursue these privileges as a gift. No one here was able to choose the time and place in which they would be born. But according to God's design, we are here in this place and time, and that reality brings with it certain freedoms. These freedoms may be changing, but for now, you and I are not restricted in any way that inhibits our ability to show up on Sunday morning at a church of our choice to hear God's Word being taught. We're not limited in that. You and I are not limited when we go home to choose one of the five or six Bibles that the average family has in the United States and read it all we want. You and I are not inhibited in any way of taking those principles of Scripture and applying them to our lives and living out the Christian character and conduct in a society that, by and large, gives us the freedom to do that as we desire now, some may argue that a lot of this is beginning to change, and that may be true. But the fact is, you and I live in a place and time right now where we are simply not inhibited in any way to live out the fundamental practices of the Christian life. It's a privilege that we are called to steward in light of the fact that that. You and I feast on this buffet of spiritual nourishment at the same time that 25% of the world's population stares in an absolutely empty plate because they do not own a Bible. They do not have any access to the truth we speak of. 25% of the world's population. One out of every four people have no contact With anyone who teaches the truth. They have no Bible in order to read God's truth. And therefore their life is not changed by the truth. They remain dead in their trespasses and sins. One out of every four people in the world. Now that's a pretty sobering thought, isn't it? But the reason I tell you that is because regardless of the socioeconomic status that you may have this morning, what I can tell you with utmost conviction is that you are filthy rich in the spiritual resources that you have available to you and the freedom with which you have to enjoy them. If we're not feasting on what we have been giving, that that makes about as much sense as a man who is starving, being seated at a buffet table and simply choosing not to eat. Jesus is inviting you. He's inviting you to a table of fellowship. My encouragement to you is to drink deeply, to eat heartily what the Lord has given us the privilege to enjoy. And know, know that He delights in the satisfaction that you gain in being nourished by the truth that He has given you. (laughs) Drink deeply eat heartily, be at the table of his fellowship that he daily, even moment by moment, invites you to be a part of. And as we've said, we're talking about here spiritual disciplines. Our freedom of choice still requires the discipline to choose. Did you hear what I just said? Our freedom of choice still requires the discipline to choose we must discipline ourselves to step away from the current of our culture or it will drag us right along with it we must choose to come away to that place of solitude that that furnace of transformation as we've talked about we must choose to be still and be quiet and let that refining fire of silence do its work it's a good place to be. And what we'll talk about this morning and ongoing through the summer is what do you do once you get there? Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, uh, we are reminded this morning together, all of us, myself included, that we are filthy rich in spiritual resources and the freedom with which to enjoy them because of the place and time in which we live of which we had no choice in the matter, but you have gifted us with it. And that includes being here this morning to hear what's being said, to listen and participate in the songs being sung, and each and everything has a message from you. It has a point. You are speaking into our lives, and may we have ears to hear this morning and eyes to see what it is you intend. We pray this in your name. Amen. I've had a few conversations as we've gone through this uh, study together this summer that have gone something like this. Somebody will come up to me and they'll say, you know, I, I don't have any problem with spending time with the Lord and, and even kind of getting away and being quiet. They said, you know what happens to me is when I get to that place where I'm still and quiet, it's like the floodgates open and every possible thought comes to mind, things I need to do, calls I need to make, places I need to go. Anybody relate to that? <laughs> yeah, me too. It it, it happens to me, too. And at some level, as I look at that, I, I see that as confirmation that what we're trying to do is, has significant value in God's kingdom plan. Because think about it if the enemy didn't see this as a threat, he wouldn't bother distracting you, would he? It, it only becomes a battleground when there's something really important worth fighting for. And so my encouragement to you is don't let this discourage you. In fact, let it embolden you. If it happens, don't necessarily assume that you're doing something wrong. In fact, the chances are you're probably doing something right. And so I would encourage you to go there. But I think it's a legitimate question. Once we separate ourselves and come to that place where we're spending time with the Lord... What does that look like? What do we do with that time? And like I said, some of the things that we will talk about, you are doing those. Some of them will be new, but my hope is that all of them will be useful for you in some way at some point in time. What I want to do for the remainder of the summer, really, is to talk about what to do with that time. And the image that I have in my mind is a toolbox i'm going to give you a lot of tools Okay, I think every single one of the tools are valuable But I don't expect you to use every single one of the tools every single day There'll be certain seasons in your life where certain tools make the most sense and have the most benefit for you But I want us to walk through all of them so that you will be able to use them when you desire to do so Now That being said I would go as far as to say that it would be important to use all the tools that at some point in your life in order to avoid the predictable routine in your time with the Lord. Because I know how some of you think. And you're a lot like me. What you're saying is, hey, give me the list and I'll do it. And you're exactly right. You will follow the list. You'll do all the right things in just the right order with very little benefit. Because you'll do it with your head. And not with your heart. Right? So this morning, I want to just give you a few tools to put in your toolbox. And every once in a while, pull out a new tool that you haven't used in a while and give it a try. Let's start with meditation. Now, I know as soon as I say that word, some of you are already throwing up a red flag and you're saying, Now, wait a second. Meditation is what those Eastern religions do and Christians are not allowed to meditate. Let's look at Scripture together. Turn, if you will, to Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. It's right after Deuteronomy if you want to find your way there. Now, this is God speaking to Joshua. Okay, so this is God's instruction. Listen to what he says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. Oh, there's the word. Day and night. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. There it is. Meditation. The biblical calling to follow that guidance, Moses has died, and now Joshua is being charged to lead this massive people of Israel into the promised land. God could have given him any instruction to prepare him for what is ahead, and what he tells him is this: Joshua, you will walk in my will as long as you meditate on my word. Reflect on what I have said, and it will instruct you in what you should do. The psalmist says something very similar about walking in the will of God. Turn, if you will, to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. And let's just begin reading in verse 1 of, of Psalm 1. It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And here it is. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And and whatever he does, he prospers. (laughs) There is a repeated message throughout Scripture to meditate on God's Word. And, And the primary difference between Biblical meditation and and transcendental meditation of of, of Eastern religion is is seen right here in these two passages. See, biblical meditation seeks to fill one's mind with truth by meditating on God's Word. In other words, the the focus is on Scripture. Transcendental meditation, by definition, by the way, is intended to empty one's mind through the repetition of meaningless words, known as a mantra. Biblical meditation fills the mind and reflects on that which is true. And non-Christian meditation empties the mind and makes one extremely susceptible to that which is false. If you took the time to read Psalm 119, you may remember what the psalmist says in verse 11, when he writes, Your word I have treasured in my heart. That I might not sin against you. You see, biblical meditation is nothing more than taking the time to reflect on the truth of God's word. It's the act of of treasuring it in your heart. Sowing it deeply inside the soil of your soul. So that it can take root and grow and mature. This is why biblical meditation throughout Scripture is commanded by God. And when you examine the life and character of godly people, you will see it evidenced in their life as well. It's kind of like that analogy you may have heard about a a tea bag. Hearing God's Word on on Sunday morning is like taking that tea bag and and dipping it inside that hot cup of water and then pulling it out. Some of the flavor is released, but it's pretty weak, isn't it? But reading God's word may be about like another dip, okay? A little more flavor being released into the water. But meditation is like taking that tea bag and just setting it in there and letting it sit, letting it soak. And then over time that the fullness of that flavor is absorbed into the water as the rich goodness is realized when you let that bag just sit there and steep. It's also like Psalm 1 that we just read. It's that tree planted by the stream of water as it soaks up the truth of God's word and it makes it strong, doesn't it? So that it bears fruit in its season and its leaves do not wither. So let me give you some examples of what this might look like as you spend time in the presence of the Lord. The first example is what I'll call the one thing. How many of y'all have seen the movie City Slickers? I'm going to date myself on this one. You remember this, don't you, Tim? Right? So Billy Crystal's out on this range. He's a city boy, and he's with a cowboy who's pretty crusty. His name is Curly, right? And Billy Crystal's character is named Mitch in this movie. So they're riding along, and, and Curly uh, turns to, to Billy, uh, or to Mitch, and he says, Mitch, do you know what the secret of life is? And then he takes his finger and he holds it up like this. Remember what Billy Crystal says? Your finger? <laughs> yeah. He said, no. He said, one thing. Just one thing. You stick to that and know nothing else matters. Well, Billy Crystal returns the question and says, well, what is that one thing? And Curly says, that's what you've got to find out. Right? Well, I think that's a very... Important and simple approach to how you look at Scripture. Very often, I think we need to simplify what we do before the Lord as we go into His Word. Because here's the deal. You've got a whole lifetime to spend in this book. And so you do not have to answer every one of your questions in one sitting. You realize that, right? So simplify it. And go before the Lord, read His Word, and look for one thing. What is that one thing? That's what you've got to find out. Go there and listen. (laughs) I think I've told you before that one of the most meaningful courses that I had in my seminary career was my time in Psalms. And we did a great study of this in class, but the most helpful thing is what my professor assigned to us uh, during the week. And that was to take 10 Psalms and read uh, 10 different Psalms each day and then pick out one thing. And then journal that one thing and create kind of an ongoing journal throughout the semester, of one thing per ten psalms, all through the psalms. Hugely significant. The most significant thing I think I did all throughout my seminary career. Let me give you an example of one of the things that I wrote, just to give you a feel for what this looks like. This is from Psalms 11 through 20. This was written September 5th, 2006. Okay, This is what I wrote. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord our God. It seems to be a consistent theme in the Psalms. The chapters I read this morning in particular seem to give God credit for every detail of life, prosperity, and protection. Psalm 1310 says that if the Lord does not give light to our eyes, we will sleep in death. Psalm 162 says that apart from God, we have no good thing. Psalm 175 says that God lays out the path for us to know where we should walk. Psalm 18 says, declares Psalm 18 declares that God is our rock and our shield. He reaches down to rescue us from death, and His right hand sustains us. Psalm 19 even proclaims that all creation pours forth speech and reveals the majesty of our Creator, God, and King. These verses all impress upon me the sovereign control and sustaining power of God in all of life and creation. My only right response is worship and trust, in such an all-power, powerful and all-wonderful God. All around me the world offers substitutes for trust in God. Yet I must remain faithful to trust in the Lord, my God, only. Ten Psalms. One thing. And it's that simple. I would encourage you to take the time to do that. And you don't have to do it just in the Psalms. You can go anywhere you read in Scripture. Take the time. Read a section. Let it soak, let it steep, and find that one thing, and then just journal it. Turn it into a prayer. Which brings me to the next discipline. I've already hinted to it, and that's this idea of journaling. Again, don't make this a mindless ritual. In fact, I would suggest that you not do it every day, and or even in the same way. I would suggest that it become a regular pattern throughout the year, but not something that becomes... A mindless ritual. Sometimes what you write may be that one thing that you gain from your time with the Lord. Let me give you an example from my journal. This is what I wrote uh, back on June 7th. Okay? It says, in speaking of the people of Israel, Second Kings 17.33 says, So they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. Here's what I wrote. It's interesting to me that the judgment of God toward the people of God was based upon his righteous jealousy. Although they served the Lord, they did not serve him exclusively. They were influenced by the practices of the world around them, and God became one of many means by which they tried to satisfy the needs of their heart. And then my prayer, O God, may you be the one true God in my life. May I not seek any other means to satisfy the needs of my life. May I find my hope in you alone. May you be God alone. Just one verse, one thing, and this is what it meant to me. And it's that simple. Sometimes what I'll do as I journal is reflect on things that that God is kind of poking on, if you will. Things that are surfacing to the top that don't look very pretty. And I need to put those down just to, to be able to process what the Lord's teaching me. This is what I wrote on June 14th, just a few days later. It said, I read a Facebook post from Joel McNally that was a link to an Oswald Chambers devotional. I then read my daily scripture verse, and it was the same as the devotional. Abide in me. I prayed on my way to the office this morning. I confessed my irritability and discouragement. I knew that I was not walking in the presence of the Lord. It seems that God wants to get my attention so that my circumstances do not determine His presence. His presence is in every circumstance. The question is, am I abiding in Him? And then my prayer. Lord, help me to rest in You in this moment. Help me to settle my heart in Your presence. May Your peace replace my impatience. May Your grace replace my bitterness. May Your hope replace my discouragement. As I go about my sermon prep and and counseling today, may it be invaded with your presence, empowered by your Holy Spirit and made new through your redemption. It's just things that God impresses upon your heart that are important enough that you want to galvanize them by putting them down on paper. And sometimes it's not even what I read in Scripture. I'll write, for example my reflection on the time that Graham and I spent when we went backpacking. I'll write about whenever we went to family camp. It's just these kinds of things that there's really not a pattern, and that's on purpose, because routine can turn spiritual disciplines into drudgery. So keep it fresh as you consider the work and the ways of the Lord in your life. I believe that when God does something significant, enough to capture your attention, then it often is important enough to to write it down so that it becomes that much more secure in your heart. Because I want you to think about this. When you look at Scripture and you read the book of Psalms, really what you're reading is David's journal. There's other people who write, but by and large, it's David's journal. When you read Lamentations, you're reading Jeremiah's journal. Now, it's inspired by God, but it is a reflection that they are having of life as God is working in and through them among his people. So let me encourage you to, to take the time to to just every once in a while jot down what God is doing in your life. Because when you go back and look at that, it's really a gold mine. For one thing, it, it gives you a picture of on, God's ongoing work in your life. You see, we tend to forget all the ways that God answers our prayers, and, and carries us through difficult times. But when we go back and read our journal, his presence becomes vividly clear. It's like that footsteps poem, except every step now has a story attached to it. A- another example of how God was involved in your life, sometimes carrying you through the difficulties. But i also say this. When you go back and look at it, you'll see patterns of God's work in your life, but you'll also see patterns in your own life. Sometimes those patterns are really good, ways that you're growing and, and maturing and, and walking with the Lord, but other times you're going to see patterns of concern, character flaws that continue to, to repeat themselves and, and show up as they are recorded in your journal. One of the ways that this has been apparent for me is through the time that I spend with a group of guys every year Who are committed to following christ and helping others to do the same we've been meeting together for about 15 years now It all began when we were in our late 20s early 30s and we were looking ahead to men in their 40s and 50s And we watched them quit running the race Some of them were derailed by sin, but most of them they just pulled over and parked they quit They lost their passion to follow christ and to lead their families and Although they might have been going through the motion of, of religious obligation and just kind of doing what everybody expected them to do They had lost their passion and eventually left their first love and we looked at these men men we respected And we said we do not Want that to happen in our lives? So one of the things that we do when we get together is a reflection on what's in our journal. We each take time to go back for the previous year and we share with each other the highlights. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Let me give you an example of of something that that I wrote and shared with this group of men several years ago. As I do that, I want to preface it by saying that, that God has done a lot of work in my life on this issue. Okay, But I believe that a key step in that process of his work in my life was my ability to see it, record it in my journal, and then speak it to these men that I have made this commitment to. Here's what I wrote. Pattern of anxiety. Perhaps my greatest fear is the unhealthy pattern of depression within my family. In my lifetime, my grandfather and aunt have committed suicide. Others have attempted and still others are having ongoing struggles. I, too, see depression with no apparent cause written within my journal. Although I do not discount the physiological causes of this issue, I also know that I can allow it to have more control than it needs to. I must make a conscious effort to address this issue. As encouraged, I need to face it and say, you no longer have permission to affect me like that anymore. Although it's not a miracle cure, it does give me some responsibility to to face the sources of anxiety and not passively allow them to take over. I have cause for fear, I wrote, uh, for application of this as I'm writing. Graham has had a relapse of some of his breathing difficulties, and it's the most difficult challenge I face. See, at the time, Graham was really struggling with his asthma, and we were making multiple trips to the emergency room, and that was a frightening experience for all of us. And I realized that I had let that fear consume me i did not control my fear my fear controlled me and i began to realize as these men spoke into my life and shared with me that that god has not given you the spirit of fear and i began to realize that that anxiety in my life resulted in my independence from god the peace that i was seeking was only going to be found in my trust and abiding in him and they reminded me of that as i shared this struggle I believe that the journal is a very important spiritual discipline. But like the other disciplines, it takes commitment. And it's just one of the tools in your toolbox to pull out every once in a while. I'd encourage you to consider it, not only for the purpose of growing in godliness, but but also as a way of kind of raising up a monument of God's work in your life. We see that all throughout Scripture, don't we? When God did something significant, they built an altar. And they said, I don't want to forget this. To me, that's what a journal does. It's one way to build a monument. One more tool that I want to give you as we finish up this morning. And uh, memorizing scripture. Now, I realize that some of you have already checked out on me when you heard me say memorizing scripture. I've tried that. It doesn't work. I can't do that. Yes, you can. Hang with me. Okay? As we look at scripture, I think that this is what David had in mind When he said that he treasured his word in his heart. Committing things to memory was doing it because it was important enough to remember. Paul encourages the Colossians to to set their minds on things above and not on things of the earth. You may remember from our study of Philippians back in the spring. Where Paul writes, finally brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right... Whatever is pure and lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence of anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. God's Word is the most reliable source of truth. What is right, what is pure. And there is no better place to store those things than right here in our mind. Because we take it everywhere we go. But again, don't beat yourself up over this if you've tried it and failed. I think that's one of the reasons that the spiritual disciplines are often difficult. is because we give it a try, we don't do it well, so we take that tool and we chunk it. That doesn't work for me. Don't do that. Keep the tool in the toolbox because there is a season for everything. There will be times where memorizing Scripture is hugely significant in your walk with Christ. And then there will be times where it's not something that you're going to be devoted to, and that's okay, all right? But like journaling, memorizing Scripture is something as you look at the landscape of your life that you ought to see dotted every once in a while at a time where that was important to you. I bet all of us can remember a time where we've been going through something and the Holy Spirit brings to mind a passage, very likely that you've committed to Scripture, that hits you just the right moment just the right place you just needed to hear it that's the reason it's important i want you to think about jesus in the wilderness as he was being tempted by satan every time the enemy threw a temptation at him what did jesus do to counter the attack you remember he spoke scripture that he had previously committed to memory the same will be true for us we need to have a mind that is saturated with God's truth. It strengthens our faith. It it guides our life and it can often be the most precious gift that we could ever offer to to someone else. There's all kinds of ways to do this. Some people like to commit things to song. I distinctly remember when I was a sophomore in high school, I went to an FCA state convention in Dallas, Texas. And one of the things that they did is they took verses and I think they just made up a random little rhyme that went with the verse. But here's what I remember. Matthew 11:28 says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11:28 says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Twenty-five years ago. I still remember it. It was a significant way that they used that. So s- sing it. Put it in a rhyme. Memorize it any way you can because there's a lot of different ways, but commit it to memory. I want to close up with one suggestion. Uh, This is what I learned from from, uh, John Piper. Not personally. I don't know the man, but something I read about him. But this is what he does, and I want to share this method as one of many methods just to, to not leave you hanging, just to give you something, okay? Go ahead and put up that next slide. My encouragement to you in application to this is throughout the week, I want you to memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Some of you probably have already done that, and that's okay. Then keep doing it, all right? Just recall it this week. But if you haven't, my encouragement is to to memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Now, here's a method to do that. The first thing you're going to do is open up your Bible to Proverbs 3, 5, and you're going to read that verse out loud ten times, Okay? My encouragement to you as you read it is to think about what you're reading, okay? And one of the things that I'll often do is I'll emphasize different words as I speak it out loud. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Okay, Ten times. Just repeat it out loud. And then cover it up and as best you can, try to recite it from memory. Okay, You're done that day. That's all you're going to do the first day. The next day, come back. And what you're going to do first is you're going to take that verse 5 and you're going to, as best you can, recite it from memory. Okay? Now, most of us are going to have to look back a few times to remind ourselves, okay, well, oh, yeah, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Okay. Recite it ten times. Then you're going to take the next verse and go through the same routine. Speak it out loud. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Okay? So you'll go through this same routine. Now, here's what we're going to do this morning in order to apply what I'm encouraging you to do we're going to say it together all right so if you will say it with me verse 5 together follow along you ready trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding okay again we're going to focus on trust we're going to speak that loud trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding focus on the Lord Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Turn it off, please. You ready? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Close your eyes, think about the words. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. That is a beautiful verse. Now take verse 6, add to it. Write it on a note card, put it on your mirror, post it in your car, but be reminded of that truth. What a great truth! To commit to memory. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will make your paths straight. Amen? Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for the example that you give us in Scripture. All the different tools that you make available to us. And just the grace that you allow us to practice them at different times, at different seasons, in a way that draws us closer to you. May we not lose sight of that, Father. Help us and and, and even protect us from becoming so routine that it becomes drudgery and we fulfill the list without really living it in our heart. Father, I just pray for each of us that we feast on the buffet of the spiritual resources that we have available to us and the freedom with which we are gifted to enjoy them. May we have been, I pray that we've been reminded today that that is a privilege that one out of every four people in this world do not share with us. Father, may we steward the privilege that we have. Consider these disciplines. Sharpen some of these tools that we haven't used in a while. But in all of this, seek to pursue a passionate pursuit Of knowing you more deeply. We love you Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen.